Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sober Speak. I'm sitting here with Amy S. We'll introduce her in just a moment. But keep in mind, at Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of men and women, a woman in this particular case, sharing their experience centered around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery. My name is John M. I'm an alcoholic, and I will be the host of this episode. Consider, so we speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. We don't really replace meetings, but we can supplement meetings for when you can't get there uh, and be with another alcoholic face-to-face. And so I have asked Amy to start with a reading that she has brought along with her, something that is special to her. I believe it's a poem. It is. Is it a poem? It's or a poem, poem called poem? poem. Poem or poem? Poem. Po- poem. 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 Now poem. you're making me poem. think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she has a poem with her, and uh, maybe I'll let you go ahead and read cool. it. So it's a poem called um, The Summer Day, and it's by Mary Oliver, who's one of my favorite poets. And um, it says, Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? The grasshopper, I mean the one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. How to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, off the beaten path, which I like. Uh, from some of the readings we've had thus far, and uh, very good. So, all right. So keep in mind, we welcome all your comments here at Sober Speak, and you can contact us in a couple of different ways. Either you can go to SoberSpeak, all one word, dot com, and click on the Contact Us tab, or you can email us directly at feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at SoberSpeak.com. We not only welcome your feedback, but we highly encourage it. Um, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want, leave the rest at the curb. Thank you very much, Amy. So, all right, so let's go ahead and start first with that reading that you brought in. I, I think, like I said, it is beautiful. It's off the beaten path. I know it's special to you. She's one of your favorite poets. What do you, what, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Why did you bring that one in? Well, I especially have um, always been drawn to the final line of this poem and where it says, tell me. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And even prior to getting sober, even probably before I ever was an alcoholic, I I loved this poem. And I, you know, it's like that invitation to think about what is it, 
what is it that you're going to do? What were you put on this earth to do? And what are you going to do? It's like living a purposeful life. But the grasshopper, you know, the grasshopper is living its purposeful life. It um, and the and I love when the grasshopper it knows how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Um, that means even something more to me today because I don't think I knew how to do those things before I got sober. I didn't know how to be idle. I think I was blessed. I didn't know how to feel blessed. I didn't know how to just sit and be present to life. And I think that that's what this poem is about, sitting and being present to life. And so I go back to it often. Um, Of course, um, I'm a teacher, so I've taught this poem before. And I use that last line as my tagline on emails. And I get a lot of comments on that from parents or people like, oh, tell me about where does this come from? And so then I get to share the poem with them. Very nice. I like that a lot. cool. Uh, so, so you're a teacher. Let's, let's I go am. There. So what? You're te- what grade? I teach eleventh grade English. Okay. So in the um, Dallas area. I here? do yeah. in the Dallas area. Yeah. And so, uh, how long have you been doing that? Gosh, I have twenty eight years experience. Wow. So it hasn't always been in eleventh grade, but yeah. it's um, a lot of teaching. I've never, you know, a lot of people come to teaching as a second career, but I became a teacher straight out of college. I've taken some years off with my kids when they yeah. were little, but other than that. I've been either a teacher or a school administrator of some sort, but I'm um, toward the end of my career and back in the classroom and have been for the last six years. Have you always felt kind of a calling, so to speak, toward it? I I didn't know I was going to be a teacher in college. I was an English major. And so, like, what are you going to do with your English major? Well, in my family, you go to law school. That's what what my brother did. But I married uh, when I got married. My husband was in graduate school, and so, and he was at SMU, and somebody had to work, and so I had enough hours to be a teacher, and so I started teaching, and then when he graduated from SMU, I thought uh, the plan was maybe that I would go to, to law school or something, but it just, I loved teaching, so um I've just, I've never looked back. I've never been unhappy being a teacher. Good for so. you. Good for you, and as you know... This world needs good teachers and people that are... Uh, Kids are good. Yeah. Kids are fun. It's a, it's a great job. I so. still remember from my, you know, uh, especially... Well, actually, uh, uh, high school and elementary especially. I don't know why I'm not much in middle school. <laughs> Maybe because I was moving around at that school. time. middle <laughs> Um, but I still remember, you know, those those teachers who impacted my life, those those teachers who were kind to me. Yeah. Uh, kind of, I was always one of the kids that was, you know, sitting in the corner a lot because uh, I was talking too yeah. much in class. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm grateful for the teachers, not only in my life, but cool. teachers in general like yourself. Thanks, so. thanks. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, I, I know enough to be dangerous, so to speak, okay. about your background. Yeah. Uh, I know that you uh, came from a, a church background, for, Very for much lack so. of a better word. So why don't you start about, you know, start me with that. Like, you okay. know, where did you come from, your childhood, you were involved in okay. church, and then we'll get up to uh, to present day as well. Right. Yeah, there, there really has never been a time that I haven't been involved in church heavily. I grew up in a very strong church family, and I grew up in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church. I'm a cradle Methodist. 
I cradle Methodist born into the Methodist church. Oh, I'm so, not. I'm, I didn't then, know that. Church. So yeah, so I spent 57 years as a Methodist. So mm-hmm. I, um, my parents are both cradle Methodists. So um, I like, and you know, I grew up hearing about the grace and mercy of God. So I, I didn't grow up. You know, sometimes in meetings I hear people talk about, like, oh, I was afraid of God. I was never afraid of God. God was gracious and merciful and loved me. Even in the midst of my addiction, when I struggled, I I didn't think, I figured God was disappointed in me, but I never saw a God that was mad at me or left my side or didn't care about me. Um... So my family was very active in the church where I grew up, and we were there all the time. Was that here in the state of Texas? uh uh Uh-huh. I grew up in Houston. So I, um, and then I um, went to college and married someone who was going to be a Methodist minister. So I, you know, spent the rest of my life in church. So I, um, you know, that just, that has been our story is to... Were you kind of, just out of curiosity, were you aiming for that? To marry I was not somebody? aiming for that. No, I was a little sister I didn't know his if it was fraternity. Expected. That was not, no, that really even, no, no, no. It was not. I mean, it wasn't an upsetting thing to my family by any means, but certainly not yeah. expected. Right. So it just, that seemed to be the boy that I gravitated to in college. Well, so. you, know, you know, I always hear, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I go to a Methodist right, church myself, right. right? But I started going to church really as a, as I was an adult. My my mom was atheist, agnostic at best, you know, and so we did not really participate. So I had to go through Alcoholics Anonymous, and my sponsor was actually a Christian, and he kind of, wow, okay. uh, you know, uh, I, I started asking him a lot of questions, uh-huh. and I ended up back in church. But the reason I'm saying all that is because you hear people in the rooms, uh, the recovery rooms all the time, Alcoholics Anonymous in particular, who will say, you know, I'm a recovering Baptist or I'm a recovering Catholic yeah. or, you know, they, they kind of have a lot of things they have to unlearn. Right. But you didn't have that I experience, did not. Right? I yeah. did not. I grew up, and you know, I, there could be Methodist churches where people had that. It was not my experience. Yeah. It's not ever been my experience. Anything but grace and mercy and yeah. the love of God. Right. So I just, I, and my parents were filled with grace and mercy. Now, my parents were pushy parents, and they wanted the ultimate best for me. Mm-hmm. There, you know, but but I did not grow up in a household that was unkind or unloving, or you know. So no, I didn't. And you were an only. You, you, I'm not you, an older. No, 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 you, you said you said something about your brother. Or I have an older right? brother okay. who is how old. much older? He is five years older and thirty six years sober. Oh really? So, yeah, he has thirty six years sobriety. So he was yeah, he was in his twenties, um, um, practicing law, young uh, lawyer. When he just got woke up one day and said, "I got a problem," and uh, I think he drank beer all night one night and didn't pass out. So he's like, "Okay, I just." So he went to AA the next day and he's never had a drink since then. Really? So um, so were your, did your parents drink? They didn't. Um, they were not heavy drinkers. My at all. My my mother not at all. I, you know, as an adult later on my brother told me that when we were really little my dad was telling him about this Mm -hmm. that when that my dad I think drank heavily at one point in his life not alcoholically but was a heavy heavy, like yeah like like hard liquor um but not when I was growing up so but but lots of parties like like 
I was fortunate enough or whatever to grow up in a, in a really charmed lifestyle. So there was a lot of time at the country club where there was a lot of, like, I remember being out at the tennis courts and there's just a lot of alcohol out there and my parents entertaining and there's lots of women in beautiful dresses and people serving alcohol so there were things like that but it wasn't other than a glass of wine and stuff at dinner um that was i mean there was a full liquor cabinet but it never occurred to me to want to drink out of it so um and my parents know they did not um they were not big drinkers. Okay, so, so this is one of the reasons that I was interested in having you on the podcast. Because like I said, I know enough about you uh-huh. uh, to realize that, um, you know, the, the, the traditional view of somebody who is an alcoholic is that they came from this disruptive, chaotic background. And, uh, you know, maybe they didn't have, you know, the greatest parents or whatever the case may be. And you even described your life just moments ago as a kind of a charm. It was a charmed life. Yeah. It was like things went well. Now, I, there was a lot expected of me. And um, I, um, my, um, my birth was was traumatic and they did what not think I, traumatic? so my mother they thought my mother was going to die and I was going to die my mother's uterus ruptured which to this day has about a 10% um, survival rate really? so it was just a real miracle and I was it, the miracle baby so is that like when, when you, you'll have to forgive me I don't understand a lot of well and I don't understand a lot is that like right at the end? right at the end on the way like they're rushing her to the hospital and the uterus busted ruptured so you're ruptured. out in the amniotic you're just like really? I guess floating around and almost dead and that the so the hospital the doctors told my dad at so the time there will basically. be no baby but we'll hope to keep your wife alive and so for a baby to survive and my mother to survive was a really big deal then. And my parents had been were older and had been told they couldn't have any more children. So that was a big deal. So I became kind of the miracle child that you're going to do great things. So there's a lot of pressure on a child. They're going to, but not mean pressure. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reality was, you know, things worked out well for me through middle school and high school and college. Like, you know, things that Were I tried went student? well. I was a very good student. I had lots of friends. I, um, you know, I would say I was popular in school. Um, I tried to be nice to everybody. I was, um, you know, successful in teaching and was asked to be for some administrative jobs. So things like worked out well. I, you know, married, you know, really nice boy from college there. Yeah. It just like went, was in the right sorority, did the right thing, you know, did all these things. Quote, when I say right sorority, I mean, the things that my mother wanted for me, right? That, you know, she wanted me to be happy and successful and popular and all these things. And I was all those things. Okay. So. Good. Okay. So let's go back to the nice boy from college. Okay. So. (laughs) so, so, Still my husband. Okay. Okay. So he's your husband still. Yes. And how many years have you? 35 years we've been married. 35 years. Yeah. Uh, and no ruffles along that time. There whatsoever. have been huge ruffles along <laughs> yeah, that time. Okay. And um, so you met him in college. I so met right? him in college. First year, I was second 19. year, third year. Oh, I was oh. my second day of my freshman year in college. He will tell second you. Second day, of your freshman year. He introduced himself to me, but because he wanted to ask me out, and he will. But I didn't go out with him for a while, so I really didn't date him until the end of my freshman year in college. So he won out finally. He wore me down. <laughs> 
<laughs> and just out of curiosity, what, what, uh, how come you, do you, how do, how do I ask He was this? funny well, and right? fun to be around. And we got to be really good friends yeah. first. Yeah. I, uh, of course, you know his really good friend from college, our good friend, Billy. And yeah. it was like, um, I just started hanging around all of them. And he was just like a really good person and fun. And, you know, it just it just kind of grew into romance then. Okay, so. so you started dating him at the end of the first year. Yeah. And so when did y'all? How we long married did you... straight out of co- when I graduated. So that was like three years then, basically. Right. I graduated a semester early, so we gra- Yeah, we married in um, December eighteenth, nineteen eighty two. So okay. yeah. All so. right. So then, so you're you're out of school. You're married now, and uh, so when did the kid? Do you have how many I ha- children? We have two children, yeah. and I had kids pretty young, twenty three and twenty five. So I, um, um, it, he was at his first church at, in Princeton, Texas. Time when you say he, town. you're talking about my husband. Your husband, okay. Yeah. So, so, so your husband is yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And we had little, um, and we had our kids and uh, very young, and so didn't quite know what we were doing, but you kind of figure it out, right? And they're now. 31 and 32 and doing just fine and well pretty fine in Austin that's a whole other story but (laughs) anyway but um so yeah children and church and I mean it was a full life okay so you were all you were involved in the church as a a young person and now were you involved in church or college I was I went to church in college I even worked with a youth group in in college so really because you know a lot of people once they get to college will kind of drop off and then come back I mean not every Sunday but I still went to church and I volunteered with Young Life and I volunteered at the First Methodist Church with the youth group and things like that okay so you've got a couple kids now and uh so all right so let's i, I guess we'll start talking about the the uh, alcohol and drugs part you know at some point i know these things started entering right. into your life right? not at this early point like okay. in my tw- i did not drink in my 20s and 30s um, like at all uh, like if, if we were some nothing was in the house yeah like um if we went out with people we still like yes if we were out at something I would have some alcohol, and I, I would even drink enough to be tipsy, probably. But there was no, like, alcoholic drinking. Okay. There was no, like, I would do that and then not have another drink for nine months or whatever. Okay. Gotcha. So that 20s and 30s and really into my 40s, um, the the drinking started, it didn't start, well, it started with pills and then moving into um, prescription medication and then moving into drinking. So oh. it all kind of started in my mid-40s. Okay, so you're in your mid-40s, all right? And this is another piece about being an alcoholic that right. you kind of uh, upset the apple cart in I terms know. of the image, so to speak, I right? know. Here you are, you're mid-40s, right? You've been involved in church. Right. Uh, you are... Uh, so, so where did the, the, the prescriptions come okay. into play and what's the bridge there? There were some... Um, there were some, you know... If you get to be 45 years old and that's the first time in your life you have big disappointment in your life and and there were some things I have a husband who is has um, I guess they we attract one another because I have a, my husband has uh, is an alcoholic also and he started struggling with alcohol and, and I was did, that at, like at the same time you did or he, was his was that? a little earlier okay. and so me not knowing how to deal with it later on and um, at one point we had to leave a church um, uh, from because of his desire to leave because of the alcohol and wanting to get better. And I 
no longer had my role in the church. I was so used to being like center of attention. And yeah, it was so what a was your church. role in these church? Like, well, when you say I was what? really active. Okay. I was, you know, I'm an attention seeking person. I'm an ego driven person. And so I like, I'm not that you know, person who like sits and is like demure and like nods her head. I loved the attention. No. So (laughs) I was in the middle of all of it and I loved it. And especially when the church at this point, the church, you know, in our forties where we were got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was a church that we started and it was really successful. Well, I just loved all the attention on that. So that, that was a lot of my status. You know, I felt like I can remember going out to dinner with a bunch of friends and every table we passed by people wanted to talk to my husband you know they're like look and my friend Leslie she goes it's like being with a rock star okay well so it's not it's as close as I'm ever going to get to being with a rock star like to being so well known in your town so I like I loved the attention and so you know when we left there was this we could call your husband like Bon Jovi that's how it felt yeah bald Bon Jovi so but when we left I, that was gone, that identity. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, because of some anxiety, et cetera, and well-meaning doctors, they gave me prescriptions and I'm a person like, um, just out of care, what kind of like, you are know, you talking about relaxing remember, kind of yeah, like, like anxiety and things like okay, that? Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. And then a doctor along the way thought that maybe Adderall would help me because I seem to be all over the place. Yeah. And, you and Adderall, me, if it, if that's, like that's the one for HDHD yeah. or whatever. And right? so you give me those two things yeah. and I'm going to take a whole bunch of it. Like, I'm that person of muchness and manyness. Like, if instead of one <laughs> pair of shoes, I'll get five. So, uh, you give me Adderall and it makes me feel good. I'm going to take more. Like, because my name was on the prescription bottle, you know? Right. So, it can't be wrong. Right, I'm right. Like, I, I, my name's on it. Right. I'm not an addict. Right. The doctor gave it to me. And so, I, I got into this real toxic mess of pills and... They, my doctor here sent me to a psychiatrist who tended to be a pill pushing doctor, and I don't. He, he did not intentionally do that. Right. He did not know that about right. that well doctor. He and I have talked re- since yeah. then. Yeah. He was well intentioned. Right. He thought he was sending me to a safe place. Right. He did not. So I got on a huge mess of like you know I'd ask for something else and I just get it. So I I had a huge cocktail. And then started mixing alcohol in with it, and it just... And how, just what, what, this cocktail of uh, prescriptions, was that building over six months, a year, two yeah, years, three years? Yeah, that built up for about six months to a year, and then I... Um, so, so that went until... There's about an eight-year period of pills and alcohol in okay. my life gotcha. before I, like, I'd be off of them for a while and then, uh, and went off of pills completely at one point, several years before I ever got sober and quit drinking. But, um, but there's an eight, there's an eight years of, with some Sucks. periods of times with nothing, but not very long, maybe three months, six months here, abuse of prescription medication and alcohol okay 
And by the way, I've never heard that term uh, of muchness and manyness. Well, it is just so my personality. <laughs> I have to watch it. Like, if you Jeez. give me, like, when I eat Girl Scout Thin Mints, you know, they say there are 14 servings. There are not 14 servings. There are two <laughs> servings. And it's one sleeve and two sleeves. And it's like, why would you give me a sleeve of cookies and tell me there are seven servings in that? I am just a person, if it's in my house, I'm going to eat the cookies. If the shoes are there, I'm going to buy the shoes. Now, am I trying, is my sponsor working with me on addressing that? Yes. yes. But at least now it's not, I can't control my eating, but at least now it's not deadly. You know, I can return the shoes. So. Okay, so you were heavily involved in that one church. Uh, uh, right. Your husband had to leave. Right. Uh, and then, do, uh, was it right from there into AA? Or it was not that. Between? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> then, um, then he's um, consulting and doing really well. So he's on a plane going everywhere, all over the country. And at this point... Your husband, right? Yeah. He's, he's flying and around. At so this you're, point, you I leave my job. Yeah, I've left my school, my administration job. Okay. I'd had neck surgery. Okay. My. Which, in the meantime, where were you in Texas at this point? Like, we were in McKinney. So okay, in the so Dallas you were area. you were in the yeah. Dallas area. So I had left my my my. I had cared for my mother who had Alzheimer's for a long time, oh, wow. and she had died. My dad didn't need nearly as much help, but I was still you know responsible for him and. The best way of dealing with all of that was continuing on prescription medication and lots of it and and wine. And especially if if my husband's traveling, then I can just drink during the day. Because right. I didn't, you know, the, the money thing wasn't an issue. So I, like, I don't, I can, um, you know, stay at home, well, and, you know, help care for my parents, well... Yeah, but I, so I drank during, that was when like day drinking started. And that's when I kept, that's when I started thinking, hmm, Hmm. I might have a problem. (laughs) But you know what I would think? I can't have a problem because I was normal in my 20s and 30s. And you know what? My brother, he's the drunk because he was a drunk at 18. He was a drunk at 16. He had issues from the moment he drank, he wanted to drink more and more and more. Okay. And that wasn't me. And I have cousins like that, too. Like, all the cousins on my dad's side of the family. So I'm not like them. So I couldn't be an alcoholic. In my mind, that was what would go back and forth. I'm not an alcoholic because look at me. Until I was 45, I didn't drink like this. This is just a little rough patch. (laughs) It's a little eight-year rough patch, but it's a little rough patch. So, I mean, I can laugh about it now. They even sent, my family even sent me to a place in California in Pacific Palisades. And, oh, that um, sounds nice. Oh, it was like fancy. <laughs> oh, my. It was dual diagnosis because I still had a lot of neck pain that they gave me medication for. And I had had a spinal fusion and it didn't seem to help. And so, what's the dual diagnosis? What does that mean? It's like if you're dealing with depression and pain. Like, I went because of depression and pain. Yeah. But... I didn't really know it was for people who had alcohol and drug problems, too. Because I'm the person who left rehab and didn't realize I wasn't supposed to drink. Because they didn't take me to AA or anything. It was real fancy. We went to the beach, and we had, like, fancy meals. I am grateful for much of what I, for so much of what I learned there. And I'm grateful because through the the yoga and the massages and all the acupuncture and stuff, I, my pain went away. Right. 
but they let me stay on my medication. They gave it back to me as I left, and when I left, oh, I they started, gave it back. Well, they gave me the the bottles back so I could start taking it in my way again, and um, I just thought, well, my pain's gone, and I don't feel so depressed anymore, so I'm better. <laughs> So I spent about three or four months after that not drinking. Yeah. But even my family was like, yeah, I think you're good now. You can drink again. Like nobody really thought that I wasn't supposed to drink forever. So it's not all my fault on that one. (laughs) But it was very expensive. Well, people go, well, did your insurance pay for it? No, it's not an insurance place. But it was a nice... I mean, I miss I miss my husband. I miss my little doggy. Yeah. But you know, it was a really nice, fancy thirty days. So. <laughs> okay, so how long was this before you actually got sober? Then. And okay, the- so. After I got out of there, then my husband decides, you know, because this always helps alcoholics, we're going to move, you know, change of location. So yeah. we actually moved to Houston. He back decided to, Houston. to go back to a church, and this was an even bigger church than we had here. So he thought, put her back in the environment where ah. she was happy. Yeah, where you Like where she gets thrive. tons of attention. There'll be thousands of people around her, and she'll be happy. And I, I loved the church, and I was very active. But I didn't quit drinking or quit taking pills. So I I taught Bible study jacked up and high. I did women's group high, not drunk, but really on. And you know, here is the mercy and grace of God, because even after everything happened and I crashed there, and you know, there isn't anybody that was active in that church that didn't know that I crashed and had a problem. They, I still had like, I did a high school girls Bible study. I still had mothers come to me and say, you just really helped change my daughter's life. God can use right. a drunk That's right. or, or a pill popper. I mean, I, 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 I did not ever show up to church drunk. I could have yet, yet, as my sponsor would make me say, um, I have not shown up to church drunk yet, yeah. but I like, God still used me and still and my husband had a drinking problem while we were there and still used him that church grew and grew and grew and people came to know the Lord and were touched and even when we we were there two and a half years and then because of his drinking again we had to suddenly leave and people were still reaching out to us and loved us and loved him and you know contacted us about how you changed my life and everything well of course god's the one that changes lives so god can god can use really messed up people right right and you would think after that that i would have quit drinking um i didn't for a while we came back to the dallas area um and it took me about a year and a half after that to realize to get into the program and quit drinking and it really we separated we didn't separate right away but we did about a year and a half later you're done yeah and we separated and it just became time for me to heal and for him to heal and then we're going to decide what we're going to do so um i so you so he was having an alcohol problem you were having an alcohol and pills problem yeah uh, things were going well you decide to separate how was that year and a half I mean so we separated for eight months okay. so and then um, that was the beginning of my sobriety like that was when he moved out I was like Okay. And the I'll kids are out of my the house. Yeah. Oh gosh, they're grown. They're out yeah. of college. They're um, 
And I had been the much more messed up one drinking heavily after we left the church. His seemed to be in, I'm not saying it was good, but it seemed to be more in bouts. But what year are you saying that yours I was just, just a daily drinker. Gotcha. Like I, I was drinking. I, I taught school and I didn't drink at school yet, as my sponsor yeah. would make me say. But I would drink after school. Like I'd go by CVS on my way home and get wine. And, pretty, and you know, I drank every day yeah. and, and drank a lot. Right. I didn't take pills anymore, but I drank a lot. And so um, on January 3rd, 2015, we, we actually separated on January 4th. But I was too sick and hung over to drink on January 3rd. So that's my sobriety day. <laughs> but January 4th was my first intentional sobriety day. So, so that so is are that when you're so help me that you I, I conflated that there for a second with with the separation in your we separated day. then the that's, day that's my sobriety that's when day you, oh so you were separated okay gotcha and so and you came to I didn't come to AA right away okay. I I white knuckled it because I didn't think I needed AA because my brother went to AA and I didn't want to do that right. But then I did, after a while, I thought, well, I'll give it a try. You know, my family wants me to go. There's not much these people can teach me. When you say your family, is that, are you talking like about my daughter, your kids and my stuff? Daughter, my, son, my son has his own alcohol and drug problems, and so he wasn't pushing me to go. But, um, but my daughter was. Okay. And my brother certainly was. And did your daughter have some sort of experience? Did no, she know she about it? No, she just knew that we, she just knew I had a problem. Right. And she, she just, just wanted, wanted her mother to get well. Gotcha. So, so um, she, um, so I went and I went to the women's meeting Saturday morning women's meeting. And then so that so you stopped drinking into the beginning of January. When did you go to the women's meeting? It wasn't until March. Okay, so you got about three months. Yeah, there, kind of yeah. white knuckling it. And um, what do you remember about those three months? Was it? They were dark. Okay. I would teach school and come home and go to bed. Like, get in my bed with my dogs and watch Netflix and just try to go to sleep. Right. Because I just didn't want to go out and live because I was afraid I'd drink. And I was just so, I mean, I just thought that's what life was going to be the rest of my life. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read books. I like to read. So I'm going to read books. And I'm going to, and I'm just going to live in the dark you know it was winter time and so it got dark early and i just get in my bed and just hunker down or i'd get on the couch and by the fireplace and just it was a dark depressing life i didn't think that there would ever be any joy in my life again right i you know what i didn't go to church then not that i didn't believe in god and not that i didn't think god loved me i just didn't want to be around people right it was too painful right Okay, so you went to that first meeting in March, the women's meeting? Yeah, right? okay. yeah. And, uh... It wasn't bad. Like, <laughs> I... My friend Lisa came up to me, and... Well, she wasn't my friend then, but, um... She had knew me from Jennifer E. Jennifer E. knew me ahead of time, and she had said, Hey, I got this friend Amy coming, and so... You know, I looked around. Oh, so Jennifer E. knew you were going to show up at the meeting. Yeah. So you had relationships within a. I had you knew I had one it. with yes okay, with Jennifer gotcha. E. Gotcha. So. So I um I went and I just kept going just on Saturdays just to the women's meeting. Yeah. I thought okay, I made some friends. I really kind of liked some of the people. I'd say I was an alcoholic, but I didn't really believe it. I you know I still thought. 
I, I don't know what I thought. I didn't think I was an alcoholic because by definition, my brother was an alcoholic. And you're a drunk early on. Right. You don't become a drunk. You don't become an alcoholic in your 40s. That is not what an alcoholic is. That's what I thought. And you know it specifically addresses that issue in the 12 and 12. I know. it does, And there's something even in the big book. Because while I was reading, I was like... Whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. And then I started meeting people who were like me that didn't drink until they were, you know, middle age. And I thought, well, I'm and and or people who had started by taking, you know, pills when they had pain. And um, and I can remember sitting in a meeting and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I started by taking pills I had neck pain, had some neck surgery, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? There are a lot of people who have neck surgery and they don't keep taking their pills. I am not a special snowflake. I am just a drunk like everyone in this room. And you know what? That was freeing. Like, that was freedom. And be able to say, I'm, and that's when I got in the middle of the boat. And I went, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for the long haul, you people. You're stuck with me. So come on. So, um, you know, I, I, I had crafted such this, this like, image of this person of that I wanted to be a perfection on the outside and it finally was a place where I didn't have to pretend where it was a room full of wounded healers and I didn't have to be that's a Henry Nowen saying I did not make that up Henry Nowen says that I wanted wounded healers wounded healers he talks about wounded healers but I, I was at a place where people laughed about stuff that nobody else would think were, was funny. Right. Like, they would think, that's inappropriate to laugh about that. <laughs> and where we cry about something, like someone says something and you cry because you get it. You understand that feeling. And it was like, oh my gosh, this trailer with this green carpet, you know, that usually has like straw and grass, dead grass all over it. Right. This is home. Like, these people get me. And so from then on, I've just kind of been in the middle of the boat, you know, sometimes more in the middle than not, sometimes not going, you know, I, I make three meetings a week. My sponsor says you have to, or you get, you get to go to three meetings a week, (laughs) but, um, they've, they've what changed my life. So when did you, so you, so you started, you were going to women's meetings for a while. When did you go over to the... I Mixed meetings. I would say that summer I went to some noon meetings mm-hmm. and then started in the fall going to like evening meetings when I was teaching school and things like that. So that's when I started going to more than one meeting a week. Okay. So, so that would be probably uh, nine months into sobriety. Okay. Um, Okay, so let me go back then. So that I'm working with a timeline here. You said that you were separated from your husband. We're back together at this point. Yeah, okay, so you, so y'all were back together, mm-hmm. and uh, so and you're going to the the mixed meetings. Uh, yeah. Okay. And still the women's meetings. That's the one meeting. I mean, that I I consider my home meeting. I, yeah. I went this morning. I mean, that's like I don't. If I'm in town, I don't miss it. Like I don't plan anything around it. Right, That's right. always my priority. Where is is that meeting at the trailer yeah, as well? Yeah, nine yeah. o'clock. Nine no one o'clock. ever reminds me of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a good one too. A lot of times we have warm Krispy Kreme donuts. So oh, it's no. definitely <laughs> worth going. Well I'll just come by and say it's my name I'll just say I, my name's Joan. There you I can go. be Joan, not John, right? 
All right. So. <laughs> okay. So, okay, well, then let's talk about sobriety a little bit then, okay. right? Okay. So now you've gotten into sobriety. Talk about your experience with the steps. Uh, you talked about your sponsor. Uh, any, you know, I, I believe you sponsor other women. Any sort of experience I you do. have there? Talk about what you want to talk about there. Wow. The steps. Okay, so when I first came in, and even for a while, um, you know, I'd see the steps, especially steps one, two, and three, and I'd go, oh, check, check, check. I know all about God. Right. So, um, but my sponsor said, oh, let's slow down here a little bit. (laughs) Maybe not so much. And I, working the steps and working with other women have brought me, like, I spent so much time chasing serenity like chasing it with a stick trying to beat it down (laughs) even like i would like always have the bible verses about serenity or turning my life and my will over to god or i mean like i had all those memorized i have taught bible studies on turning your life and your will over to god i have um um you know the the scripture in Second Corinthians when Paul um, talks about God saying when he has the thorn in his side right. and um, and three times you know he has this dream and three times he asks God to return to remove this thorn and we don't know what the thorn is which I love that because right. it could be anything correct and so for me addiction but um, God you know says to him my grace is sufficient for you my grace is enough. Right. Okay, so that had been a scripture that I had just, I can't tell you how many times I'd written on a note card, put it on my mirror, you know, taught Bible studies over it, wanted to live that. But I kept trying to um, run my own redemption. I tried to redeem myself. You know, it's not like I wasn't praying to get well. You tried to run your own... Re- redemption, yeah. Redemption. Yeah. yeah. Very... I've never heard it put that way. That's a... Uh... My will and my willpower and my self-will have been so strong that when I prayed for God to heal me, it was like, let me heal myself, God. Send me the power to heal. I mean, I don't know that those were the words I used, yeah. but that's the attitude I had right. in prayer. Right. Like, like much of my prayer time was spent me telling God how it was going to be. Because right. right. I had it figured out. Right. So <laughs> I, uh, and then I had those three months of sobriety before I got into AA. So that convinced me a little bit that I had this power, you ah, know? yes, yes. So when I f- was able to really realize that, yeah, maybe I'm sober, but not emotionally sober, not happy, not joyous, not free, not able to sit still and be present, that maybe I became desperate enough to just sit and let God heal me and do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I was never a person who could just sit and be and be present yeah and now I get to do that so sobriety for me um when I think of that scripture going back to your grace is sufficient for me your grace is enough for me we're not a society that wants what's the other part that says that in my in my weakness or in your your, weakness I am strong I am strong yeah I actually brought that with me so um yeah, there was the whole piece of um, 
My grace is enough to cover and sustain you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. So I I finally got to live. I brought something. Can I read from it? Yeah, I yeah, brought yeah. something. So this it. is what, when I did my talk the other day, this is the only part that I read. So I came into a trailer. I think I told the story in my talk the other day. I think one of the times I realized how crazy and mixed up I was, was um, that I would, I, I got so I drank a lot of vodka at the end because, or even for a long time, because it had fewer calories. That's a woman thing. <laughs> right. And so we drink vodka because, and why mix it with anything else? So just out of the bottle. And, but then, you know, you feel so guilty and you're like, oh, I'm going to throw this vodka bottle away. So you throw it in the trash can, but you don't throw it down the drain. <laughs> And then at 2 o'clock in the morning, you go and you dig it out of the trash right. can, or I did. Right. And you drink it, like you bring it in the house and then drink it. Or or better yet, just drink it out by the trash can, because right. the, then the trash can's there where you can throw away the vodka <laughs> bottle, so it's really much more convenient. It's efficient that way. It's efficient. It's, yeah. e- it's efficient. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I am drinking a stinky vodka bottle. Like, it didn't matter what had gotten on there. Right. I'm I'm drinking it, and it probably has other stuff mixed in with it, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So I said that, um, so this is what I wrote. God said I wasn't made for drinking out of dirty bottles rescued from the trash. Surrender began for me in a room full of beautiful wrecks, um, a room full of wounded healers. When I first walked through the doors of AA, I carried in my spiritual backpack all of knowledge and understanding from years of Bible study, theological study, devotional and spiritual readings, church classes, religious and spiritual workshops, and sermon listening. I had the God part down. I looked at steps one through three and pretty much checked them off in my head. I'd get an A plus on this part. And for a teacher, that's important. Yes. It was a no-brainer. I was ready for advanced AA. I want, I can't remember, you know, where are the gifted AA people? Because I have this down. The AP so class. Do you have the AP course, yeah. please? That's pretty true about me. I wasn't sure about the insanity or unmanageable part. Because, you know, what is, you know, I here I was drinking out of trash can, but I didn't recognize that as being insane. But step three especially was already a shiny gold star for me. Turning my life and my will over to God. Big, giant check (laughs) however i was a little skeptical about the as we understood him part really people are just going to make up a god that works for them you can't do that right that's against the the rule that's against the god rule so or at least my rule the bible tells us who god is you don't figure it out by yourself god is god furthermore they can't even say the lord's prayer correctly they (laughs) Pause in between give us this day our daily bread. No church does that. You don't pause. It's one line. Just want you to know that. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, I'm sorry. There's no pause here. That is not how the Lord's Prayer said. But that's the AA way. Then I sat in the room for days that turned into months that turned into a year. And I heard over and over again from people who didn't seem at all like me talk about how desperate they were and they cried out and God answered them and kept them sober from day to day. These people had not attended all of the studies and services and workshops that I had attended. Their spiritual backpacks were not jammed full of learning and information. Many of them brought with them nothing but their brokenness and desperation. They kept depending through faith in a God they didn't understand 
a God that they didn't even call by name, but a God that kept them sober. Day in and day out, they learned that this God could be trusted. I, on the other hand, brought my backpack full of my belief system and my learning experience. I came in with the spiritual answers already checked off, and they came in desperate and broken, leaning on this God of their own understanding who may not be called God. Now, I think I'm beginning to understand about this God of our understanding idea. And I think that I have a new understanding of God in a new way and a new picture of God and a new way of relating to God. So I'm constantly rediscovering God. God didn't change, but my understanding of him continues to change. God didn't change. I did. I had tried for so many years to live following certain passages that I thought I had understood. So there's the passage passage about the follower who is struggling with some sort of affliction he called it a thorn in his flesh and this person kept asking god to take it away three times he asked and for whatever reason the affliction remained i don't know why it remained i don't believe that god's mercy is fickle but things happen in life as a result of our own actions and the actions of others and the grace the first says my that god said to him my grace is enough to cover and sustain you my power is made perfect in weakness so anyway, that's Very kind nice. of like what I've been right. able to do. I finally, like, that's that's what AA's given me is to surrender to God and for God's grace to be enough, for me to be present with people and listen, for me to become the woman of God I always wanted to be. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, and, and a life that's more joyful and happy and free than I ever thought it would could be. Um, you know, I, I did not know this miracle would happen. I didn't expect it. Um, I'm so grateful. I, I'm, that's why I introduced myself at meetings as a grateful alcoholic. I am grateful. I'm not just a grateful alcoholic that I am in recovery. I'm grateful to have been an alcoholic because it's the way I got to this life and I wouldn't have it if I hadn't um and so I'm I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic God bless you that's great okay we're gonna give one spin of the wheel here you don't know about this okay Okay. see this right here see that wheel yes okay so what I'm gonna do it uh uh it'll it'll spin around it's got it's got several different topics there as you can see there they're like uh meditation fellowships selfishness turning point uh-huh. humor adversity okay there's 12 of them okay right? okay right and i'm gonna spin the wheel and whatever it lands on you get to address it oh okay okay, okay. all right so here we go and now we oh this is the suspense the suspense bill kill you oh Fellowship. Oh my gosh! All right, so that's what you say. What if you had to share something about fellowship? Man. What would you say? They're my people. It's my tribe. The fellowship, you know, it's my favorite part of the program. I know we have to do service. I know we have to do everything else, but for me, the people um, coming to a meeting, seeing people, connecting with people. Um, you know, they've become our lifeline. And um, so I, it, when I have weeks that I can't get to a meeting in the middle of the week, I do start feeling antsy. I do. I mean, my, I am restless, irritable, and discontent. And I know it's the fellowship. 
um, you know, it's the book says we're not a glum lot, and yeah. that is so true. You know, we're on our way. Uh, my husband and I are moving to to another city. We're moving to Austin, and um, because that's where our children are, and we're going to be so all you peeps in Austin who are in AA, you get the treat of Miss Amy. So, um, and I know there's great AA there, and I'm going to meet so many people. But man, the one thing that's really hard for us to let go of is this fellowship that we found, because there are people, there are tribe that like we laugh together, we cry together. It's there. And then we eat dinner. And then we eat. We eat a lot. <laughs> well, we eat, and then we laugh and cry, and then we eat some more. So, yeah, it's just the fellowship. If you're unhappy, it's probably because you're not in the midst of the fellowship. Right. And it's the least judgmental group of people I've ever been around. You'd think the church would have been the least judgmental people. And, I mean, churches are great, and I love my church, so I'm not saying anything bad about churches. But, by golly, get about a bunch of drunks. We don't have much to judge. <laughs> We've all been really right, low. Right. So. As uh, my uh, friend Eric, who was over here on the podcast, when he says uh, it's kind of like the opposite of Facebook. Uh, <laughs> In other words, you know, you're not taking pictures of the time you were going off to a treatment and uh, posting that. You have pictures of the vacation. Here, let me tell you about the last time I I passed out. Let me show you a picture of that one. And here are the pills I'll be taking tonight. (laughs) Picture of that. (laughs) And yet we all laugh about it. Yes, yes. Because you have to. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I've never been in a meeting where I didn't laugh at some point and where my heart wasn't touched. Yeah. And one last question. As you're speaking, you were kind of talking with your hands, and I noticed that you have a tattoo. I do. I now, do. And this completely blows my mind as well. You have a tattoo on your wrist. I What's do. the tattoo? Okay, so I got it? it last year. I really thought you got it about last it. year. Yeah, so I designed it. So, and it was really. I wanted to be reminded of how grateful I am at all times for where I am in my life. So, like, the curvy thing going around and around that line yeah. is taken from the Tibetan symbol for gratitude. That That's this um, line that never ends. And then there's the triangles yeah. for serenity and for AA. That's yeah. what I think of. And then the cross. So. Wow. I'll, I'll have to see if I can somehow attach that image to your podcast. Obviously, okay. we won't put your image there, but I... But, I mean, your, your facial you images. Oh, well, but I love it. I it, it it is a constant reminder to me of where God has brought me, and I am so grateful for where I am. Um, I just like I'm I'm so grateful to the program, and I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. So that's another thing people don't do in their 40s or 50s. They usually don't go out and get no, a tattoo. No, I got you know my daughter went with me. You're and living also, life in my reverse. My daughter so. who um, who has you know my she has several tattoos and she and Austin and so I love it. That's I absolutely great. love it. So it took me a long time to design and figure out exactly what I wanted, yeah. but I love it and I. I never look at it where I don't think about my being grateful. Oh, fair so. enough. Are you going to go with the whole sleeve? No, this is it. it. I'm That's just it? doing This is all I'm well, doing. Well, they say once they start. No, you know. I, no, no, this is it. This is it for me. But Next I, time I see absolutely you. love it. You have one of those big butterflies on your back or something I know. like that. No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, Amy. Well, this has been fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, 
I forgot. I almost forgot. I have to do closing stuff here. I don't have to do it, but I like to do it. But we so, get to. Yeah, we get to do a couple things. So, um, and number one, just I want everybody to remember that uh, you can contact us again by uh, going to uh, feedback at silverspeak.com, just an email, or you can go to silverspeak.com and click on the contact us um, tab there. Um, remember, we want to make this a dialogue. Thank you for what, thank you in whatever form you support us, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends or just listening in as you are able. And here we go with page 164. It says, Abandon yourself. This is page 164 from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Fellows, that's kind of a uh, old-timey speak there. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Goodbye, everybody.